Hello and welcome to Orange Source. Well, my name is Elvis and as always, I'm your host. Alright, this is going to be a pretty long one, if not in terms of actual news and reviews, but in terms of how much I'm going to get into what I read this week because there was a lot of thoughts I had and I can't wait to share them with you all. So first up, let's get into news. There's only really one big news topic, at least in my eyes, which is that apparently HBO Max is working with the Venture Brothers folks in order to figure out a way to revive the show on their stream platform, which, you know, that's cool. That's kind of what everyone was expecting to happen. Now, the funny side of this is that a few are taking this as confirmation that this was all just a hoax to drum up fan support and that it was all planned out from the beginning. Now, you know my thoughts on why I think that doesn't really make much sense and would be way more than a show like this would even you know call for. But either way, I hope that it does happen and that you know it's better than season seven was. So fingers crossed and you know kudos. And we also have another trailer for Justice League Snyder Cut. It's just the old trailer that needed to, I guess, clear out some music licenses and shore up some new logos and maybe three or four different shots put in. But it's the same trailer and it's still a really good trailer. I really like it. All right, this is breaking news. This just got announced like a couple minutes ago and I'm going to do that thing where I edit it back into the actual uh, recording that I made. But apparently, Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be released in HBO Max on December 25th, side by side for release in theaters. Now, people have been wondering what are they going to do for Wonder Woman 2? Uh, because Patty Jenkins and WB and pretty much everyone has been really adamant about keeping a theatrical date. And we all supposed that they were going to, you know, wait, delay it, you know, do whatever they could for it. But honestly, I'm kind of surprised by the balls in this. Apparently, it's going to be at no extra cost to subscribers. Now, they've made a point about saying that. I'm pretty sure that is a knock on Disney for charging like 30 extra bucks for Mulan to subscribers of Disney+. And uh, you know what? I'm glad. I still think it's kind of a mistake to have a theater option. I mean, it is pretty risky. But as someone who has HBO Max, like 14 bucks if you wanted to subscribe just for Wonder Woman 1984, that is a really good price. That's even less than a ticket here in New York. So, you know, I can't wait. Can't wait to see it. And hopefully, you know, it turns out good. And we're going to have nice watch party fun about it. So, fingers crossed and can't wait to see it. Anyway, let's move on to what I read this week. For a stock, we have Rorschach number two. All right, let me get this out of the way. If it weren't for Death Metal's inability to actually understand entertainment or three jokers' resounding refusal to actually tell a story, then Tom King's attempts to allegoricalize the history of Steve Ditko and the era of comics that he came from would be the most pathetic thing I've read from a big two comic in years. It's just so fucking bad. It's hard to imagine that anyone out there could take Watchmen, even as one of Moore's less impressive works, but still a story that is so layered and so nuanced and then flatten it out to a degree that it becomes laughable. Not only did more with Rorschach himself make him more than just a simple commentary and satire of Ditko's objectivist beliefs, but also used the character to criticize political extremism and fanaticism in general. It was more than just a simple one-to-one allegory for a human being. It was a statement on a whole mindset, a whole philosophy. Plus the added humor of making him sound like Harry Popnecker of all things to boot. So, you know, Moore was working on a whole different level there. Meanwhile, you have fucking Tom King here just discarding all of that to make Rorschach a completely facile counterpart and allegory for Steve Ditko. And it's not something that really works because you're taking something that was meant to you know, mean so much more and then bringing it down to a singular human being that you're not 
even really doing a good job at because you're reducing it inadvertently. Especially since your entire take on the human being in general seems to be based on urban legends about inclusiveness and also some weird nonsensical bullshit about how he must have been an incel that you seemingly made up out of nowhere. I mean, readers, if you wanted to see Steve Ditko ran against the world about how he got cucked by a Chad, then Tom King has the story for you because that literally happens in this issue. And that's just so much lesser than it used to be. You're taking a statement about society and about human nature and just really dumbing it down to dump on a person who really existed but you're twisting for your own purposes for seemingly no reason. To give a good comparison, it's a contrast to Rick Veitch's The Max Immortal. Now The Max Immortal's you know, mission statement from the very beginning was to be the most rawest, ugliest, and unfiltered history of comics there ever was. As seen through Rick Schweitz's own bias and own ideas about the moral feelings and corruption in the comic industry. So when he lambasts and lampoons figures like Bill Gaines as blubbering cowards and hypocrites, you understand what he's going for because it fits the themes and the intention of the story that he's created. It all revolves around that kind of, you know, ideal. That mindset. King has no such excuse when he decides to turn Dick going into an MRA totem and incel and all that kind of bullshit. It's just so pathetic to read. So overall, two thumbs down and the man can't even write a good Mr. A parody in this issue. It's so, it's so lackluster and honestly disappointing. Anyway, let's move on to Mortal Hulk number 40 and this is a pretty fun issue. It's again on that very thin-skinned keel, but it's hard to knock it for that when it's already 40 issues in. Ewing and Bennett do at least have a good time imbuing some fun and excitement into what is maybe one of the most darkest and lowest points of the entire run. Everything has gone foobar and Savage and Joe are kind of in a lurch. Seeing them learn how to work together and pair up their own strengths, if only very fleeting, was nice and it does give it some hope and engagement in an otherwise sorrowful situation. Revealing some more twists and turns to the narrative also helps to amp up and energize things. If only 10 issues left to go, not including the odd tie-in here and there, it's good and it can still pull off the rug slightly from under us while also setting up a stage for an endgame. I'm really excited to see what comes next and to see how Joe and Savage fare in their small little mini arc. Overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. It could have been better. But I'm really glad that it's not falling on its face right now. You know, it's we're in the crunch. And lastly, we have Extra Swords chapter 17 through 19. X-Force, Hellions, and Cable. And this was a pretty good week, which I need to say off the bat because it's true. These issues are overall very fun, very engaging, and had a good thorough line of thrills and emotion. All that said, I'm still very disappointed by the fucking bill of goods we were sold. It still sucks that we had so much time wasted. But what was wasted has changed in my view. Because while this week is still full of gags and jokes and gimmicks, it's last week's that really dropped the ball in my mind. Because while yes, the first 11 issues were all focused on the emotional quotient, it was only last week that focused entirely on the super ridiculous nonsense garbage. This week's issues, by contrast, actually have some balance between them. It does all the silly gimmicky stuff, but there's also some layers more uh, included in there of the reflective and somber qualities that used to be at the forefront. Not only adding some more passion to the fights, you know, if you can call them that, but also to the character arcs, you know, within. It's still not the best of transitions, but I can see more now what this event is going for. If only we hadn't wasted an entire week last week, right, on just nothing but nonsense ambush bug style Deadpool gags. But yeah, seeing the cap off to Storm and Death's dance was amazing. Wolverine losing his fight to the White Sword had more weight behind it than any of his other spite issues had. But also, of course, Cable's fight with Doug's new wife dealt with more of the insecurities and all those angles and tones that permeated the arcs of so many others. It was really engaging to read. Even Gorgon's last stand, I mean, especially Gorgon's last stand, 
Oh, and I guess Hellions as well for more of Sinister's bullshit. And it does work as a very dark comic relief stopgap. Overall, it was a really fun read this week, and I'm just glad that, you know, it seems to have picked up again. I still think that this won't read well, you know, as one big event, trade, or hardcover, but fingers crossed that next week's finale issues can prove me wrong. Overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. Anyway, that's it for, you know, what I read this week. I could talk more about Fargo Season 4 because this week's episode was pretty amazing, uh, but I'm going to wait until the season wraps up and then, you know, finish it off there. Anyway, that's it for this week. I want to give a shout out to the cover artists at D-O-T-E-M-C-E. Please check them out. They're amazing and they really deserve all the love they can get. And uh, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. It always has. And as soon as things are kind of settled down, I will ask more questions because I really do miss that. And I really do appreciate that. So I just want to say thank you so much. And yeah, have a great week and see you again next time.